Well, welcome everyone, and thank you all for joining us today at this session entitled Client-Directed Counseling for Nutrition Professionals. Before we begin, we kindly request that you turn off your cell phones to minimize distractions. To make the most of this event, we highly encourage you to utilize our conference app. It grants you access to all the conference functions, keeping you updated with the latest updates and announcements. Don't forget to join the conversation and share your experiences at this session or the conference in general by using the hashtag SNEB2023 on social media. Our presenters will be available to address any questions you may have following their presentation. So without further ado, I'll introduce myself, who is the moderator and the speakers. So um, in terms of me, I am Jeb Bastian. I am at South Dakota State University, but the main focus of this learning lab is going to be my colleague and mentor, Beth McKinney. So Beth McKinney is the owner of Best with Beth LLC, where she provides nutrition counseling, lectures, and webinars to help people make healthy behavior change. Beth was also the director of the Cornell University Wellness Program for over 22 years and a lecturer in the Division of Nutritional Sciences at Cornell. She received her bachelor's degree from Cornell University and her master's degree in health education from State University of New York, Cortland. In addition, Beth is a certified health education specialist. With previous experience in both clinical and community nutrition, Beth specializes in nutrition education and behavior change. She's the faculty author for Cornell University's online certificate program, Counseling Skills for Nutrition Professionals, available online at ecornell.cornell.edu. And I can say personally, um, I know Beth through taking her class at Cornell as an undergrad. And, you know, for me personally, it was just one of those aha moments that I had as an undergraduate where it was like the two and a half years that I spent studying nutrition, it was all culminated to this is what I want to do as a dietitian, as a nutritionist, you know, provide education, do counts, you know, work on behavior change. And so... I was just really excited to be part of that class and then just really honored to then be her teaching assistant for the year afterwards. So um, I know that we're going to have a really great presentation today. And so without any further ado, Beth, the floor is yours. This will be very informal because we have such a small group, but that's just better individualized attention to all of you. So how many of you are counseling individuals right now? How many of you are supervisors? How many of you have friends and family that you advise every now and then? Okay. <laughs> These skills work for everyone. They're not specific to nutrition. We're talking about behavior change. But we're talking about behavior change not from the population approach like some of the other sessions that you're having here, but when you're working with individuals, how do you help somebody bring out their best behavior? You could tell them what to do. Will they do it? 
Maybe, maybe not. Um, so I have the objectives here. So this is going to be a skill building class. You will leave with some actual skills. I might have you come all to one table so we can work together. And there'll be some good takeaways for you. It's a tiny piece of what I teach in the eCornell class. But as I said, this is informal. I want you to ask your questions. And I also want you to challenge me if you have any particular um, concerns about anything that I say. So these are my disclosures. Uh, put in a plug. I teach nutrition counseling for, uh, I teach client-directed counseling for nutrition professionals and wellness counseling. These classes are always full. Um, they're, people love them, and it's because they get skills that they can apply immediately. So a lot of what I'll talk about sounds like it's in the context of, nu of nutrition counseling. But I want you to also think bringing out the best from my coworkers, my subordinates, my boss, my friends, my family, or anyone else that you counsel in any particular area, especially in health and wellness. So here you are. You are, let's just call you the counselor, okay? You're the content expert of whatever it is that you are the expert of, and that makes you in charge of the session. How do you get somebody to, to think differently? How do you bring out a change when you've got the information and they don't? Right? So what are you responsible for? Right? I want you to think about where the responsibility lies when you're in a one-on-one -on -one setting. So imagine any one-on-one -on -one setting that you might be in where somebody is coming to you and they need your guidance. I don't care if it's a work problem, a nutrition problem, they want to quit smoking, start an exercise program, any positive behavior change. Even somebody who is wanting to take advantage of the resources that your county or state off offers, right? They're coming to you. What are you responsible for and what are they responsible for? So when you think about what, what the client is responsible for, what comes up for any of you? What's the client responsible for? Or are they passive? They showed up. So showing up is probably 99% of the benefit. But when they're there and you give them the advice, here's, here's what you should do. You do A, then you do B, then you do C. And they go away. How do you, how do you know they're going to do A, B, and C? I'm going to throw a whole bunch of stuff in the mix between when they come and sit down and when they leave your office. Because a lot can happen, happen there that goes beyond giving them the resources, giving them the information. And so you're responsible for being an expert, but you're not responsible for the other person's behavior change. 
they are responsible for their own behavior change, whether they go and fill out the form, take advantage of the resource, eat differently, talk to their husband, call the landlord, whatever it is they decide to do. So what this is not is, we're not talking about your expertise. If you're a policy expert, if you're a nutrition expert, if you're a health and wellness expert, we're not stepping on the expertise, and you're not telling people, this is not about telling people what to eat. Um, this is setting the stage for before you get there. And so I want you to think about meeting someone for the first time. Oh, by the way, this is not motivational interviewing either. So for some of you who've had motivational interviewing training, and that's, I know a lot of dietitians have had that and nutritionists have had that in their undergraduate. Um, and I know other people have seeked, is that a word? Training for motivational interviewing. MI is not completely different, but very different. M, motivational interviewing are skills when someone's ambivalent and they don't know, they're wishy-washy, and it's a series of different kinds of questions to help them decide what they really want. And MI can be very useful, but we're not doing that. We're not doing that today. A lot of this client-directed counseling stems from Carl Rogers, who is the, the guru, and a lot of theories have stemmed from Rogerian theory, but this is kind of the basis from where all the client-directed, person-directed, student-directed, coach-directed uh, have come from. And so what Carl Rogers suggests is that in order to bring out the best in your client, you, you the counselor, have to have certain attributes. You need to come into the setting with an attitude that you, you care about this person, you respect this person, unconditional regard. You want to be your authentic self. So you want to be you coming to see them, giving them respect, and a non-judgmental platform where you're going to listen to their story and find out about them before you offer any advice or any resources. And so it's about a relationship. It's not about fixing someone else. And a lot of times we come into a counseling setting wanting to fix somebody. And to illustrate that, I'm going to show you a series of four videos. And I will ask you for your opinions after we show the four videos. So let me step aside and they'll play right now. Welcome, how can I help you today? Um, okay, so I, ever since I had my kids, I've been gaining weight. I've probably gained like 25 pounds in the last three years and I wanna lose it, um, but I'm a terrible eater and I don't control my intake very well. My husband agrees with me. He's always making comments about how much weight I've gained. Um, I just need to stop, I need to eat healthy. I can definitely help you. Uh, let's tackle these issues one by one. Let's see how healthy you already eat and go from there. The first thing we need to do is assess if you're eating a balanced diet. Then we can see how best to cut calories. Uh, do you include dairy in your diet? Yes. How often? Uh, 
I put milk in my coffee and I have milk on my cereal and then when I get to work I have yogurt. Great. Uh, and what about fruits and vegetables? Do you eat them every day? Yeah, I probably should eat more fruits and vegetables. I don't think I eat them every day. That's okay, we can figure out how to add those to your diet. Uh, first, let's talk about protein. Um, okay, so I'm feeding the family, so like hamburgers, hot dogs, sometimes I can slip in a pork chop. Um, there's a lot of chicken fingers at my house and I end up eating those too. It's clear to me that she's feeling stressed about her weight gain and that there's a lot going on for her. I'm pretty sure that her husband is not being supportive and that's too bad because it's adding to her stress. So there's emotional stress and poor eating habits at play. I'm not sure where to start. I think probably with some basic nutrition concepts, see if she's eating a balanced diet, which I'm guessing she isn't. The good news is, I think I can fix this if I take it one step at a time. I hope she's up for it. That conversation wasn't easy for me. I already feel like things are a lost cause and this hasn't helped the way I hoped it would. I know it's just the first meeting, but to be honest, I felt like she was feeling pity for me. Especially when I mentioned my husband's comments about my weight. Based on her expressions, she probably thinks he's abusive. He's really supportive, actually. He was just being honest about my weight gain. I feel like I'm being judged a little. Surely she's used to helping people like me. I hope the next conversation goes better. I really want this to work. I'm so glad you're here today. What's on your mind? Okay, so um, ever since I had my kids, I've been gaining weight. I've probably gained like 25 pounds in the last three years and I wanna lose it. But I, I'm a terrible eater and uh, I don't control my intake very well at all. My husband agrees with me. He's always making comments about how much weight I've gained. And um, I just need to stop. I need to eat healthy. It sounds like there's a lot going on here. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you think is going on? Actually, I'm a wreck. I, I'm so busy, I don't have time to figure out what to eat, and, and then I eat all the wrong things, which is making me even more stressed out, and I honestly, I don't even know where to start. I just, that's okay. It's okay, let's just talk. It sounds to me, to me like there's a lot more going on for you than just the weight loss? Yeah, yes, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I know what I should be doing. I just, I really love cooking and I want to you know, have fun in the kitchen with my kids, making healthy meals every night. And that's where I want to get to. Welcome to the folks who just came in. What, what did you notice here? Anything popping out that you care to share out loud with us?
Okay. What else did you notice about the first counselor? The first, it's the same counselor, the first version. So when you say leading questions and then you say, how many fruits and vegetables do you eat? That's a leading question and that's very counselor directed. How do you do a nutrition counseling session and not do that? Right, what did you say? Eyebrows say so much. into the session is so important. And, and these um, four attributes are part of it. But it's about how you come in and, and how you come in with a sense of respect for your client and a sense of curiosity. I don't know this person at all. I'm here to listen to them and I'm here to help them on their path, whatever their path is. So it's changing your attitude a little bit. What did you notice about the very last scenario? What were some of the differences that you noticed? So notice the difference between how many fruits and vegetables do you eat in a day versus tell me more about that. And if you get nothing out of the class, tell me more about that is one of those responses that is very vague. And when you say tell me more about that, the that is whatever the client thinks it is. And when they respond to you, they're gonna tell you something that's important to them rather than about protein, right? So it's changing the way you interact with your client to bring out your client's best thinking. Any other thoughts or comments on these videos? The, the first one, you know, it's funny. You, you look at her and you think, oh yeah, she's being a good dietitian. It seems right. She's got it, you know, she's thinking about it. But then when you really dig underneath it, you can see that she's judgmental. She's, um, she's judgmental and she's pushy. She's very pushy. So these skills are things that you can learn. And, all right, this is gonna take a while. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. It'll be eight. There we go. That's what we're gonna, that's what we're gonna talk about today. 
we're going to get some practice and some information about these three areas. And so it's, I call them three different chunks. Okay, so now, we can talk about understanding. We're going to start at, at the beginning, and this is the tip of the iceberg with client-directed counseling, but it's some of the most important things. So when you meet with someone, it doesn't take that much time to build some rapport and understand them. So when you hear me say, understand, how do you understand your client? What do you do now to understand your client? You listen. And sometimes we forget to do that. So what is listening? It's not interrupting. And when someone is starting to tell their story, like this woman who was the client here, she's telling her story and suddenly the dietitian jumps in and says, okay, here's what we need to do, okay? That's one of the things you don't want to do. What you want to do is keep this person talking because they're thinking and they're revealing things about themselves that you want to get to know. This is how you understand a person. And so there are a couple of domains. One is to find empathetic understanding. Understand what it's like to be that person. We know it's good to eat fruits and vegetables. We know it's good to eat a balanced diet, and they probably know too. But you want to find out what, how it is for them, what's getting in the way for them. How can you advise them if you don't know the person? So this empathetic understanding is not what would you do in their situation. It's more what would they do. It's you as the counselor seeing what would they do, whether it's nutrition or fitness or wellness or even workplace um, issues. So. I want you to imagine two people coming to see you because they want to increase activity. Very general topic, you not, don't have to be an exercise physiologist, but someone comes to you and says, I really gotta get moving. What are you gonna tell them? You might have a whole list of solutions in your head. You might, you might have the ultimate solution. Here it is, this is the ultimate solution. Walk first thing in the morning. Walking's free, it's easy, and if you do it first thing in the morning, you don't have time to opt out. Great advice. Okay. Um, you don't know this client. How can you give advice like that? It might be good advice, it might be nice general wisdom, but until you know this person, you've got to hold back on your advice. Right? And so you will start by listening, by letting them talk, by staying silent. So, things that you can do are be, I call it curiously ignorant. Just be curious and say, well, tell me more about that. How is that for you? What's happening in your life? Help me understand. And let them talk and let them tell you about their, their exercise. In the very beginning of the session, this is not the time to come up with solutions. 
a lot of times we forget that. Somebody will come and say, I'm going to start a liquid diet and um, I'm just not going to eat any food. <laughs> and you start talking about the liquid diet or you start talking about why not the liquid diet. Instead of talking about the goal that they come in with, talk about the person. All right, tell me what's going on. Help me understand this. And that's how you're going to get to know the person. It's empathetic understanding. It's curiously ignorant. And when you start like that, as the very last video showed, person gets comfortable, right? Who are you that they're going to tell you their life story? But if you start by coming in with the right attitude and being curious, they'll start telling you their story. And you'll express interest in their story, and then they might tell you more. There'll always be something that they're not telling you. But giving them some space is going to help them make a decision. Should I say that or should I not say that? Either way, they're thinking. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You want, let me just stop and say this. You want, <laughs> you want the person to think. When you want to think about any behavior change that you want to do, let's say you just always wanted to start meditation, you just aren't doing it. That's what most people, that's the situation they're in. They're not lacking education, they're lacking something else. Okay, so they know, they know what to do, or they know what they want to do, and they're not doing it. And every week they think the same thought, oh, I should do that. I should do that. I should do that. When people are having this, they're in between a desire to change and actually making the change, they're having the same thought over and over again. So your job, in addition to providing information and resources, is to help them get off of that wheel of the same thinking. And the way to do that is to just get them talking. Anybody have any comments as you hear me say that? Any questions? Any challenges? So a lot of this happens in the very beginning of your meeting. When we do counseling for anyone who's either had training or has not had training, which is probably most people have had minimal training, you use your logic and your instincts, right? Everything that you do, and even that first bad counselor was trying to do good. It all comes from a place of wanting to be a helper and really wanting some good outcomes. And so wherever you are in your ability to counsel others, that's your starting point, and that's fine. When you layer on some extra skills, it can be that much better. So I want to talk about self-management as part of a way to help understand the person. Okay, self-management is managing yourself. It's holding back. It's, it's holding back advice. It's holding back interrupting. It's thinking, oh, I really want to jump in and say this, but it's holding back. It's, and once you can notice that you want to jump in, and then you're able to, you're able to hold back once you notice it. But if you've got somebody talking, and then you come in and change the subject, 
if they finish their sentence and say, this is all about me, blah, 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 the end, and you say, okay, let's talk about protein, you're changing the subject. In the very beginning, and I'm talking about these videos were two minutes long. Think about how much could happen in the first two minutes. That's where a lot of this happens. So self-management involves making sure we're using the right words with, their client, with our clients and holding back on giving them the answers, trying to fix the problem for them, and also using words like should. Every time you hear yourself say, you know what you should do? In life, not in counseling, just in life. When you hear those words or you hear someone else say those words, just hold up a little red flag and say, wait a minute, I'm giving advice. Is this advice solicited advice or is it unsolicited advice? Think about people who give you unsolicited advice. What do you do? Nothing. Not all the time, but yeah. If someone's asking for advice, it's different. But when you start throwing out advice and hearing yourself say, you should do blah, 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 that's when you need to do self-management and just stop. Um, the other thing is, it's holding back, even on, on throwing out solutions. A lot of times, we'll ask people, you know, have you tried this, right? And so, anyway, it's holding back on all of that. Um, and sometimes we just like to talk. Sometimes we like to say, oh, I know exactly what you mean. The same exact thing happened to me. So ask yourself, why am I talking? I don't know if you've heard W-A-I-T, wait, why am I talking? If you're going to say something, make sure it's really relevant. But until that time, focus it all on the client. Let them do some of the heavy lifting in the counseling session. And if you do that, it actually provides relief to the counselor. If you've got employees that you're trying to work with, if you're doing a performance review, um, letting them tell you how it is for them. You might have some agenda items, but wait, you can get to those later, right? Find out what this person wants. They're eager to talk to you. Some, I mean, if somebody's coming to you on purpose, they're eager to talk to you. Okay. What do you think about first impressions? First impressions are real, they're real, but the question is how do you remain non-judgmental? Same for your client, your client has a first impression of you as well, right? And so you're gathering information from their nonverbal communication and vice versa. And how they look, how they dress, how they sound, their facial expressions, and that's information that you're gathering. You have to simultaneously take it in and be neutral. 
not raise your eyebrow like that woman did. And just, she, right, in the second video, she was paying attention. And so you, as the counselor, can pay attention to your nonverbal communication. And once you observe yourself and slow it down and take the time to do that, it becomes easier. In fact, if you ever have the opportunity to videotape yourself, and now we're all on Zoom, right, and, and we, can, we can see what we look like, notice it. If you have the kind of work colleagues who can give you feedback, ask for feedback. Um, if, you know, I had, we did this in, in the class um, where we um, did public speaking, and I had one, a student, and she didn't even realize that she clapped. She would talk in front of a group, and, and she'd step side to side, and she'd clap every time. And she just didn't know it. So there are things that you might be doing, and being observed is a good way to, to learn. So, okay. I have a gift for you. Do you know what the gift is? You have to remember from 10 years ago. Okay. <laughs> the, gift, the, the gift is your very own hypothesis bubble. I'm giving you a hypothesis bubble. And in this bubble, it, it, looks, it looks a little bit like that. It looks like a thought bubble. This is where you are going to confirm your hypothesis. You're going to put all the information in there. You're going to say, oh, our husband isn't supportive. But don't make a judgment yet. Just hold it in there. And you'll confirm your hypothesis or disconfirm your hypothesis through the course of getting to know the client. Okay, so a lot of stuff happens in the bubble. And it's a great way to try and keep yourself non-judgmental. In the end, you want to find out what the problem is, right? What is the problem that this person is trying to solve? What is the behavior this person is trying to get to? And until you know the answer to that, or you feel close to the answer to that. You can't offer advice yet. This is where you will also confirm if they have a lack of knowledge. So let's say you're the fitness expert, you're the wellness expert, you're the nutrition expert, you're the, the policy expert. Let's say you've got some really good ideas for them. And let's say you know stuff they couldn't possibly know. Right? You're talking to someone and you realize they don't even know what carbohydrates are. Right? That's where you determine there's some nutrition information I can provide to them. But you don't give it right away. I'm talking, this is like the first five minutes. So a lot, a lot will happen here. We will get to an activity, I promise. I thank you all for coming in right after lunch. I know it's a hard time. But bear with me, because we will have some fun. So, so there's Carl again. Um, I do want to talk about silence, and it sounds so easy. Silence sounds so easy to just stay silent, but it's a skill that can be learned. And the way that it works is you skip a beat. When someone is talking and you want them to go on talking, there are a couple things you can do. You, you can do, mm-hmm, 
and your nonverbal language says, I'm listening, keep talking, you can also stay silent. And this will happen after you ask a question or give them a different kind of response. You might want to say, um, well, it sounds like this is hard for you. And a lot of times we pile on two or three more questions after that. Sounds like this is hard for you. Tell me where you're stressed out. What's happening at work? If you just say, it sounds like this is hard for you, and you stay silent. Being able to stay silent allows them to continue their thought process. And what will happen is your client will share more than they even expected with you. They'll be surprised. Any thoughts coming up for anyone as you hear me say this? I think the operative word there is courage. So people, first of all, even if they're not talking, they're thinking. So in, in the Zoom situation, here's what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh, I'm not going to talk. And then there's silence. And they're like, well, if I was going to talk, what would I say? And then <laughs> a few more seconds, and someone will talk. We hope. But unless you give them that opportunity, you've ruined it. You've ruined it by talking. And so I want you to go out there and when you have conversations with colleagues today, with friends later, try it out. And it involves skipping one or two beats just to see if they're done with that thought and if they want to keep going. The cadence of a conversation is like ping pong and it's you, then me, then you, then me. So we're going to switch it up and let it be you, you, you. <laughs> For a few beats. It's not going to work every time, but when it works, it's magical. It's probably the most magical thing of what I'm going to be talking about today. Did you have something you wanted to add? Any time that you can listen to your client, you know, think about it, maybe you've had the experience where you saw a doctor and the doctor didn't listen to you and they were just focused on the um, problem and the solution. Any time you can listen, especially in a pediatric, because parents are very upset about their children and concerned, and if you let them, hopefully it won't take up oodles more time but think about even an extra 30 seconds. If that can make a difference for helping relieve them that they've shared something, you don't have to, you don't have to fix it. You can just say, thank you for sharing. I appreciate knowing that. Um, I, that's what I would recommend. Um, I, I will, I'm going to recommend something that is totally random. 
right now, but it, it'll be fun. Um, and I don't know if you already heard about this. It's so old. It's, um, it's an app on your phone, and it's called Change, it's called Change App. It's, it's with pediatric, <laughs> it's for pediatric obesity. And I think it's called changeapp.com, and it's from the um, obesity, American Obesity, Pediatric Obesity Organization. I'm pretty sure it's called Change App. But it's an interactive app that would be really fun, and it focuses on motivational interviewing, which is still very useful. Any other questions or thoughts coming up? So when you, when you, oh look, here's, here it is. This is my gift. Um, when you let someone have that silence, first of all, it's a gift, and they might talk, but you're also giving them the silence to think. Letting people think, people don't think anymore. Letting them think, because a lot of times people know what they should be doing, and they're not doing it. So it's not a matter of education. It's a matter of, okay, I know I have to maybe create a calorie deficit. And I could probably think of some ways to eat less. You don't have to tell me that. Right? Let them say it out loud. And what will happen is the more you bring out from your client, the solutions will emerge organically. They'll just They'll, you'll hear your client say something, and maybe you'll jot it down in like evening, evening dinner. You know, write it off to the side. And then when you get to the end, you can say, are you seeing any places where you can make a change? And if they can't think of it, you can remind them of what they said. But these things will emerge organically. I'm going to teach you something else now. I'm going to teach you how not to ask a question. One of the things that we are all, and when I say we, I mean everybody, we are all good at asking questions. When someone comes to us with a thing, we want to ask questions. And the questions are lined up in our hypothesis bubble. Well, how many cigarettes do you smoke? When did you start smoking? Where do you, where, where's, you know, place that you smoke the most and right you've got all these questions for your client and if you ask a question it's fine if you ask 10 questions in a row it's painful <laughs> for everybody and it can feel like an attack and so there are ways to not ask a question I'm going to be, we're going to be practicing these content responses. That's what I call them. And so one of them is either reflecting or mirroring. What you can do to not ask a question is just mirror back what the person said. So if I said to you, um, I've been, I've had a terrible day. I stepped in dog poop and then my keys fell in the sewer. You might say, <laughs> yeah, you had a terrible day. The same words. Or you could say, wow, it sounds like your keys, you lost your keys. You're mirroring it back. You're not really adding anything new. And the way that you do that, 
at least to start, at least to practice, is to say, to start with, it sounds like. If you start a sentence with, it sounds like, your chances are very high that you're not going to ask a question. And that gives you time to think of what you'll say after that. Okay, so it sounds like is, it's a starter sentence, but it works all the time. I'm, I've been doing these skills for probably 30 years, and I'm still very heavy on the it sounds like. If you made it your own, it might be, so it seems like, or so. You know, everyone has their different way to do it. But you want to hand them back a sentence and not a question. And so, and so we, we are going to practice. We're going to practice right now. And so what I'd like to do is, if we could group ourselves into two tables, I'm going to give you a chance to practice this um, because we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We have ten people. So if you can manage yourselves into two tables of five, I'm going to give you some examples. Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't really need this, but maybe I do. Oh, come to a table. Yeah, might as well all have fun.
wellness professional, I want to address the topic of fat shaming. Weight loss is a major topic when it comes to wellness. However, the way in which counselors address it can be either helpful or harmful. Today, we're joined by Amanda Ferret, a wellness professional, to talk more about this topic. So before we get into the topic, Amanda, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Well, first, thank you for having this conversation with me. Um, I am an emotional wellness counselor, grief coach, and EFT practitioner. I've got my own business, um, Value Yourself Counseling, and I've been a fat person all my life. Um, I started being dragged to the doctors at eight, nine years old because of concerns around my weight. And I just really want to educate others on what that looks like, feels like, and do my part to be an advocate for harm reduction in the world around fat shaming, fat stigma, and, you know, get rid of the stigma so that those of us that live the fat life and experience don't feel afraid to access healthcare and wellness like we should and need to at times, but, you know, because of how things have been um, at least in my lived experience, there's times where I avoid getting support or help, and I want to shift that. Great. So you mentioned fat shaming and fat stigma, and the, the other word is fat bias. And so by now, most of the students in this class have viewed the traditional versus non-traditional counseling video, and it's, it has to do with weight loss. And what I'd love for you to do first is point out the bias that, that you see in that video of traditional counseling. So when I watch the videos, you know, going through the class, right, the, the first time, I was just really struck by how they made me feel. And then in going back to prepare for, prepare for our conversation today and just reading the transcript, I was like, well, the transcripts aren't as bad. So I think that shows just how important things we're learning in 101 are, right? The body language, the tone, the eye contact. And so I went and sat and thinking back and like trying to remember the video. And I believe the counselor kind of does that typical like once over, like looking the client up and down. And we as fat folks, we can walk into a room and we know based on how people look at us, kind of what their perception or thoughts may be. Um, but in language, it typically, it, especially came up in the client, um, the counselor's reflections when she kind of made assumptions about what the client did or didn't know, what she isn't, is or isn't doing. And then she states, I hope she's up for it. And as fat folks, we often feel like there's already preconceived notions when we walk in and are looking for wellness support. And we are assumed that we're lazy, that we don't know anything that we are and that we're not motivated and that just exacerbated and pointed out how much that does exist um and then of course when we look at the client's reflection you know she felt pity and so and again this was meant to be an example of how not to counsel correct but i just want to point out how this really happens more often than not in the world um, and again, I'm, you know, not the spokesperson for all fat people, but in my lived experience, 
more often than not, I can walk into a room, whether it's a new doctor, a nurse, a wellness coach, and immediately know kind of where they put me, right? Do they pity me? Do they think I'm ignorant? Do they think I'm lazy? And so I think in those videos, the counselor's body language, tone, the way she did or did not make eye contact and kind of how she glanced over the client, as well as like her reflections, just really spoke to the experiences that many of us fat folks are actually having in the world. And you know what's really interesting? I'm, I'm suddenly realizing, um, and this is on me, that just the idea that I would put this video on this topic as one of the first things that the wellness counseling students see helps perpetuate this bias. And I, I'm realizing that, and I, that I think makes me feel like I want to address it even more. We are all prone to having this bias. And I'm wondering, Amanda, if you can maybe talk about some of the flags that help us notice it in ourselves. Right. Well, first, if you look at that example and don't immediately see just how awful it is, that's your first flag, right? Like if you don't watch that video and then see, you know, her, the counselor synapses and the client synapses and see where those problems are, that's your first flag. Um, and secondly, just, you know, pay attention to any preconceived notions that come up for you, right? Like if you're agreeing with the counselor, like, yeah, she, she doesn't know, or yeah, she's possibly ignorant, right? Having, like paying attention to where you might agree and have those preconceived notions. If you're working with fat clients and you're recognizing that you don't believe their experience or don't believe what they're saying, that's where, again, another place to kind of check in and kind of see where that bias is coming for you. Um, not honoring the client's language. I know in another, like kind of the second video, it's talking to the client that has diabetes and he references it as sugar. So again, you know, and this is where being, we talk about in the class being curiously ignorant, right? Like asking more questions, being in alignment with language. I know that I've worked with wellness coaches in the past that I get referred to because of either the doctor or my insurance plan, right? And it's been my phone. So they don't, they can't see me. I can't see them. That body language, some of that is gone. And they, but they've got access to my medical chart. And I don't know what the doctor's written in there, but I do know that the label obese is in there. And so there's preconceived notions that come with that language. I don't call myself obese. I am taking my power back in the word of fat, but I also want my healthcare provider to be careful how they use that as well. So again, just check in with language and then Look at what messages you've been told. We've all been socialized certain ways. So what messages have you been told by your family, by friends, by the media, and what are you still believing? And then just start to kind of unpack those. Great, so it brings up the question, why do you think that that fat bias and this stigma is so pervasive in our society? It's how we are socialized. There, is stigma around so many things, but obesity stigma, fat stigma is actually one of the stigmas, especially in public health and wellness that has yet to be addressed. And the impacts are horrible, but everyone experiences it. Doctors, nurses, coaches, counselors, nutritionists, everyone is kind of subjected to it um, 
even fellow fat folks, right? We can have our own internalized bias towards other fat folks. An example of that is, well, at least I'm not that fat. So it's how we're socialized in the media, by our families, by other people, right? What is the, one of the quickest insults, especially in America, that we can come up with? Calling someone fat, right? So um, it happens in other countries, but especially here in the US, it is how we are socialized. The number one insult, the number one thing you can crit be critical on someone is their weight, their size. And so it's just how we're socialized. Um, but it is fueled by capitalism. You know, we have the diet culture and diet industry here. So things like Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig and all these things, you know, so capitalism fuels it as well. But again, just it's that socialization and being cognizant of how we're consuming that and then bringing it out into the world is really important and how we can really stop some of that. Gosh, thank you so much, Amanda. So I've got a couple more questions for you. and. One is to ask you maybe to share some examples, and this is just to help all of us get sensitized um, and explain how it feels, how it feels to both be the client and also how it feels to be the wellness professional in the room. Right. Well, I started being a client, like I said, as early as eight, nine, ten years old. You know, I was, I grew up in Montana back in the early 80s. So I was a feral kid that was out from, you know, sun up till sundown playing outside, very active. You know, this is before video games existed, you know, before there was lots of cable TV channels and things like that. And um, was a super active kid, but was still gaining weight. And so my parents were concerned because they had their own weight stigma. I guess my great grandpa had been super critical to my grandma. She had passed that down to my dad. It was a voice in my dad's ear as I was a child. And so I remember being drugged to the doctor and having my first blood panels done at a very young age and kind of wondering like, well, why? Like, you know, not understanding. And then fast forward to my late teens, knowing something was kind of going on again, had gained quite a bit of weight, was significantly heavier than most of my peers. It was hard to find clothes, all these things. We started to dig down and my mom being a nurse um, had actually done some research and again part of it is I grew up you know born in 78 grew up through the 80s and 90s so science and technology hadn't caught up but I have a chronic illness I have polycystic ovarian syndrome which was a part of the cause of gaining the weight but diabetes and other things ran in my family so my parents wanted to make sure I was okay well even though I was diagnosed with PCOS there still wasn't anything known about how to handle it so went through college had horrible experiences with the nutritionist and the student health doctors, fast forward again a few years, and I'm finally in a serious relationship and I wanna talk family planning. And I go to the doctor and she would not even discuss birth control options with me. She would only focus on my weight. Even though I wasn't there for any weight or other health concerns, she would only focus on my weight. I left in tears without any advice or progress towards family planning matters. And just was devastated and crushed. and that we hold on to that, you know, we internalize that and it then builds, you know, fear and shame around, do I continue to seek medical help? Do, am I gonna be safe, right? Is this new or next provider gonna be safe? And in the last few years, I've been trying to figure out whether my chronic illness is just throwing me new curveballs or if I actually have something more autoimmune related. And I've had to go through five doctors in the last few years 
just to be heard. And even my last doctor, I had to educate her because I was able to swim. I can't exercise like most folks because of my pain. I'm experiencing horrible pain that we have yet to diagnose, but I can swim. I can get in the water and do water related exercise. So I had access to my cousin's pool this summer because COVID has everything else closed. And so I was relating this back to my doctor via email and I asked her a couple questions. Her return email completely ignored my question and instead she gave me unsolicited advice on what I should be doing. I hadn't asked for her advice in the pool. I'm fully aware of how to do, you know, water aerobics and I know how to research and look up other videos. And my questions have been completely ignored. I thankfully am an advocate for myself and felt comfortable reaching out to her. And we were able to have a conversation and she apologized and she noticed how she, yes, had very much, you know, that little bit of bias had slipped in and she had perpetuated just that little bit of harm, but we were able to fix and correct it. So, you know, once. And before you go away, I'm just going to do a few quick announcements. So first of all, thank you, Beth. Um, just really fantastic presentation. And every time I revisit this stuff, I think about it, I engage in it a different way. I've realized how much I've taken it with me as an advisor specifically. I use a lot of this with my master's students actually. Um, but anyway, so before we wrap up, allow me to remind you about a few important things. First of all, your feedback is essential for SNEB, so please take a moment to provide your feedback following the conference through the evaluation. I believe that will be emailed to you. Um, exciting events are coming up. Be sure to join us this evening for the opening session and reception beginning at 5 p.m. Make sure to mark these events in your schedule. And once again, we would like to emphasize the power of social media. As empowered food citizens, we encourage you to utilize social media platforms with the conference hashtag SNEB2023 to collectively extend the reach of this conference and foster a sense of community among nutrition education professionals worldwide. So once again, thank you so much for attending, and we'll see you elsewhere in the conference. <laughs>